name is Brian Howard. I'm a Calgary realtor who has sold an average of a house a week since moving to this great city in 2003. And this is Calgary Living. I'm interviewing Calgary's top performers as it relates to living and lifestyle in our great city. Some of the podcasts will be real estate decision specific, but most will be about life in Calgary and why we choose to live here, or at least why you should visit. Thanks for tuning in. Well, folks, welcome to another edition of Living in Calgary. Today, I am excited to have Bill Kerr on. Zoom here today with me. I've kind of heard about Bill, I think, for years as I've uh, you know dabbled in mountain play just in our backyard here in Calgary. And this weekend, I'm planning an adventure up to the Wapta Ice Fields and staying at the Bow Hush. And a good friend of mine is planning to bring up a toboggan. And he sent me a link on how to craft a quick toboggan. And uh, I clicked that link and then spent way too long cruising and seeing Bill Kerr's website, BillKerr.ca. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Happy to be here. Bill immediately was like, you know, on your website, uh, again, BillKerr.ca, and thought, oh, this is great. This guy obviously has a love for the mountains, and I'm going to invite him on my show. And you said, yes. Thanks, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome. Tell me about your life in Calgary, when you, how you happened to come to Calgary, and what strikes you about this city and place? Okay, Brian. Well, I grew up in Saskatchewan, so in a farm ranch background, and so everything that goes with that, I can ride and rope and use a bullwhip and, and all that kind of stuff, and grew up hunting and doing all the sort of farm ranch background stuff. So a lot of you know, hard work and frugal lifestyle. So when I hit 18, got out of high school, I decided that this is too predictable, too, I'd hate to say boring, but I guess it was, lifestyle. So I decided to come to Calgary and I enrolled in state petroleum engineering because the price of oil was, uh, Nixon had gone off the gold standard. So to pay for the Vietnam War. So the Saudis said, hey, this US dollar is not buying as many Mercedes as it used to. So uh, they jacked the oil price from $5 to 15. And so oil industry was really hot right then. And I came here in 73, a bit of an economic refugee. Saskatchewan was in bad shape and half the people got out of high school and left to go elsewhere, you know. So that's basically how I came to be Cal- in Calgary. And it was, you know, first and foremost for the oil industry. And secondly, mm-hmm. the mountain lifestyle appealed to me as a boy from the prairies. You know, it was just sort of, uh, mm-hmm. these mountains are fantastic. The outdoor atmosphere that was so close and so easy to get to. So, that, so I want to do was- a little... I'm curious, I'm doing my own math in my head. You came in 73, were you 20 years old, 18? 18, straight out of high school. Okay, so my math skills aren't that good. I'm trying to guess how I'm, old I'm, you are today. I'm, how old are you I'm, I'm uh, 65 going on 66 in a month. I think you're probably 65 going on like 39, maybe. 
for a lot of folks. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, okay, cool. And so was it immediate that you started? Um, so you, from your website, I mean, you're very active in the mountains. Was it like, when did you start becoming active in the mountains? Was it in the 70s or 80s or? Well, at that point, one of my buddies in St. was a, uh, his dad was a geologist. So we started out doing hikes out in the mountains and skiing, like downhill skiing. And then uh, I went back to University of Wyoming to get a petroleum engineering degree. And so then I went down to Wyoming for a couple of years and, and there was uh, rock climbing 101 courses. You, you had to take a, f- a physical activity course every semester. So, you know, taking rock climbing with the girls swim team was uh, an attractive idea. I was doing in the Vitavus high, well, I won't say high end, but, you know, pretty good rock climbing at the time. And then there was lots of mountains around. And so we did a lot of skiing and, and outdoor stuff because I liked that. And then came back to Calgary in, uh, well, I came to Edmonton in 78 and then back to Calgary in 79. So then I got involved with the Alpine Club and running around doing things. The Alpine Club was the gatekeeper of all the information on the mountains at the time. You know, mm-hmm. you'd have a little guidebook, little green guide, the Bibles, uh, Rocky Mountains South or North, and it would say, climb West Ridge, nothing else. And <laughs> if you wanted more details, you had to go to the Alpine Club or somebody or the Calgary yeah. Mountain Club or somebody. And, and in the Alpine Club was, you know, guys like Alan Kane and, and whatever, who had first yeah. met in the hang gliding club in Sate. We were oh, both wow. in the hang gliding club in the 75 era. He's a couple years older than me, but whatever. And uh, so, you know, I'd go on trips with guys, you know, like Alan Kane or Don Forrest. Do you know who Don Forrest is? Uh, I'm not. I did a tr- yeah, he did all the, he was one of the first to do all 54 highest peaks in Alberta, I believe. Yeah, the first, yeah. The first, and, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, we have and to, he had one or two. We have to talk about Alan Kane, because some people won't know who he is. Who is Alan Kane? Kane's roots, oh, right? right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, Alan went through, and as he he climbed all these easier peaks, and he scrambled them, so there's peaks you can do that involve low level climbing without ropes. And so it's called scrambling. And Mm -hmm. he wrote the first scrambling book for the Rocky Mountain area. You know, there's scrambling books for all over the world, but he was the first guy to write it up here. Oh, I didn't know that. uh, Yeah, And, uh, and it basically was all the knowledge from the Alpine Club. And I can remember the arguments at the back of the meetings around the coffee machine. You put all this information out there for all these people, you're going to kill everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and there was all these debates about how safe an idea this was to put out a guidebook. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and then he, he's put in various, uh, like, he, I think he's on third or fourth edition now. And all of us people around have like I'm a reference in the latest edition you know I've added some roots and variations on the roots and things when I talk to them and, and I've gone on you know two um, scrambles with him in the last like he's he's slowed down quite a bit but he's still oh. out there and 90% of the people I did Opal North and there probably was four or five other groups and they all walked by him 
and they didn't realize they're doing a route that this guy wrote up. And that uh, is so, that is something else. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And then he catches up to me and I turn around and, oh, Alan, how you doing? And of course, nobody else around there knew who he was. So that, um, isn't that something? And so I've only become aware of Alan Kane because recently he did a, the guidebook, well, Kane Scrambles. Is that what the guidebook's called? Kane Scrambles? It's just Scrambles in the C- Canadian Rockies by, by Alan Kane. Yeah. And he's identified, I believe, 250 in Alberta or the Rockies that the, that people want to check off and do all 250. Is that correct? I think there's like 150. 150, and, okay. And or 156 or something like that in the in the latest version. And then there's also more scrambles in the Canadian Rockies by Alan or Andrew Nagara, and I know Andrew as well. He's on his third edition of that. And there's another couple hundred. And of course, like there's a thousand or more peaks that are under 11,000 mm-hmm. in the Rockies that you could do. You know, a lot of them are hikes or else, you know, such choss piles that you don't want to do them. Uh, <laughs> there's 156 in Cades and another couple hundred in, in Andrews. These are just suggestions. <laughs> right. Just suggestions, right? It's kind of interesting. Bill, there's so many ways that I can take this conversation um, and so many ways I want to. I think there'll probably have to be a part two or three as well. <laughs> kind of like being lifestyle in Calgary living, I want to go there a little bit and then I want to come back into the mountains. What's keeping you in Calgary? I understand you're kind of moving out of your house. And I had that suspicion because for some reason I Googled you after finding about your toboggan idea, found you on Facebook and saw you had a, like your treadmill was for sale and a few other big items in Facebook marketplace. And then later <laughs> on, you told me that your house is, you're getting your house ready for sale. What is it about Calgary? I, I'm interested a little bit about your real estate journey. What's happening right now? You're obviously making a move. Yes. Being 65 and being retired now, and, with one uh, child who's 22, well, now an adult, yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. And we moved her out or she moved out on March 1st. So I've got, you know, my wife and I have this big house and we don't need it anymore. So it's it's a downsizing situation okay. as much as anything. I've been in the oil industry my whole life and I've made and lost fortunes, uh, whatever, but I'm not in a position to be sitting around with a huge house that I have to pay taxes and maintain and pay utilities on. So we bought a lot in Fairmont. We looked at houses out there and just couldn't find what we wanted. So we bought a 100 by 150 treed flat lot with a view or a bit of a view near Fairmont and think we'll build a small mm-hmm. something there. And oh, nice. Yeah, not, not that we don't like Calgary, you know, but Calgary is expensive for retired people. And I've pretty much done everything around here, you know, uh, within three hours drive, (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm I'm down, down, you know, so it's, uh, you can go to Fairmont, still be three hours from here. So we can look after aged parents and and our daughter, you know, it's not that far away, still have great access to ski hills and a whole new valley full of mountains. 
and lots of other opportunities to do things outdoors wise and live modestly. So that's interesting. Good for you. you Interesting to hear that and your perspective and stuff. I assume that you're in the Northwest somewhere closer to the mountains or in the, where? where... Uh, Oh, about uh, 2002, we moved over on the West side. We're near the West side rec center. Okay. Right. So really easy access out through Springbank. So either to Bragg Creek or out onto Highway 1. Right. And 45 minutes from uh, from Nakiska or whatever. And we live up on the west side because it because it has the good mountain access and was good access to downtown and better quality of air and whatever, you know, like anywhere on the west side, northwest or southwest or whatever. We have a little better quality air and, you know, there's good bike paths and walking paths and everything around here. It's, it's just a nice uh, place to live. And you've been there since 2002. So you've been kind of avoiding the booms of 06, 07 and the bust and the rebooms of 2013, 14. Yeah. Yeah. We were renting, I guess the two biggest real estate decisions I've made so far in my life prior to this one that I'm making right now is in 79, when I came back to Calgary, everything was super, super hot. And you could borrow fixed interest rates at, you know, six, 7% and houses were going up at 10 or 15% per year. It was a license to print money. And that's where, you know, all the guys who are 10 years older than me bought houses for 35,000 that were, they sold for 250, you know, in, in 10 years. But right in 79, Ronald Reagan was running. And one of the things he promised was he was going to float interest rates. And so some bells went off in my head somewhere from my, uh, I've taken a lot of advanced economics and whatever. So I decided, huh, this is going to change the world. And sure enough, he got in and floated the interest rates and wow, they went to 20% and all my friends were underwater in their houses. And I didn't anticipate it would you know, like I'm not precedent or, you know, <laughs> I can't predict the future because I, I didn't realize it would curl up the world economy and reduce the demand for oil and, and crash oil as well. <laughs> but I just knew I shouldn't borrow money <laughs> to buy a house. So I got one thing right. <laughs> and uh, so I rented and I was glad yeah. I did and went, moved down to, moved down to Dallas for a few years and then came back still rented. And then somewhere in 98, I started my own oil company and uh, a little oil company and kind of built it up and was doing well enough that I decided I'm going to buy a lot and build a house. And because we had this historic period of underinvestment in oil and gas and and oil uh, oil hit a low in 98. And I bought a bunch of oil properties at, at near the low and it was doing real well. So I decided, well, you know, time to get into real estate again, or I guess in, in essence for the first time. Wow. And, uh, yeah. and so I bought this lot and built, built the house I'm currently in. And we've been in here 19 years. Wow. And, that is a interesting, you know, I, I guess I'm a, a refugee from the East coast since 2003. And this kind of story that you're sharing with me, like in that one house, sort of as a Calgarian who's, you know, your age, that's not a very common story. 
but your timing is interesting in that you bought it in, or you built it and moved in in 2002. And since that time, I mean, there's been ups and downs and everything. It's an interesting it, it, story and unusual. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is unusual. And I've never been one to be afraid of being different. A lot of people like to be part of the herd and, and there's comfort in that. But I've always uh, found myself to be willing to step away from the crowd because I think differently than most people from early age, you know, let's say grade two or three, somewhere in there or four, we had a class and, and the teacher asked, on an exam, what is interest? And everybody put down interest is what you pay when you borrow money. And I put down interest is what you get when you put money in a bank or when you lend out money. And, and it was just sort of, <laughs> whoa, you know, in, in essence, it's a whole different mindset. It is, and yeah. So when, you know, in 79 there, uh, 80, when I decided not to buy a house, all my friends just about lynched me. They couldn't mm -hmm. believe that anybody was doing this and told me I'd never ever be able to afford a house and I was the stupidest person on earth. And uh, people would get mad at me and almost hit me. And uh, I couldn't go out and drink at the bars and discuss that kind of stuff because people would lynch you. And it was because I walked away from the crowd or I stepped yeah. away from the crowd. So uh, I've been very lucky at times to to see some of the bigger waves and the tides. Like 98 was definitely a great time to start an oil company. You know, took my $100,000 and, you know, 10, 20, 30 times to, on paper for a while anyway. And then of course, right. you know, rode the waves up and down. And I'm glad I diversified into buying a house, which is mm -hmm. probably almost doubled in value. Although right. it's been up and down, you know, it did better in, in the end. I was wasn't really sure I wanted to do that, to put money into real estate, but I'm glad I did. Right. You know, it, so, it worked far. Out. so far. So yeah. far. It's still yeah. not sold. <laughs> it's still, <laughs> yes, it's still not sold, but hopefully so. I say that. I say that because I'm in the, when I first moved to Calgary, like 2003, I started investing immediately, 2003, four, five, six. Good. And then yeah. I started invest, investing heavily, 2006 and seven, and at the very peak of the market. And then, and leverage, leverage, leverage everything. And then in 2009, I suffered. <laughs> and right. I still, you know, own a couple of properties that are worth less than I paid for them at this time. And during that time in 2007, eight, I was counting my equity from these properties, even though they weren't sold. And then my equity was suddenly negative in 2009 <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, so. that's the way the oil companies went. You know, yeah, okay. same sort of thing, you know, that you've got this big on paper uh, value and then. Right. On paper. Uh, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Cool. And um, so that's interesting. Well, let's go back a little back into the mountains. Actually, let's just talk about your toboggan to begin with. So I'm heading up to Bohut this weekend or tomorrow. And I want to experiment. I mean, and I'm taking my kite with me. So we're going to be kiting up on the glacier and I don't need to take a toboggan but I'm gonna experiment with it. And I know we have a steep headwall going up into the bow hush. And so I would take a, like my bag and you know a couple of kites and maybe a little extra food. And I'm gonna pull a toboggan with like, you know, plastic things, the ropes. And I've pulled a toboggan only once on a lake while flying a kite. And then you have this great invention of the crazy carpet kite. And I'm sure you're not the only one, but 
it works well. When do you use a toboggan, Bill, in the backcountry? Or like, tell us about your toboggan experience and can you even haul a sled up to the bow hut? Okay, I've been up to bow hut quite a few times. And yeah. there is going to be a couple of places there where your toboggan is going to be off the side of you quite a bit. And right. it, it might be worthwhile having a trail line behind it so the guy behind you can keep it out of the water because there's a few places in that canyon. Have, have you been to up the canyon there yet? Yes, a few times, yeah. Oh, okay. Never so, with a toboggan. Never yeah. with a toboggan. Okay. Oh, but I, but I never thought about that. Like yeah, around the canyon and tra- traversing along. Yeah, that will be a bit of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'd put it all in a hydro seal bag, or, or whatever, so that. And I think that version I have online. Yeah, I, I think I had it in a um, a waterproof bag. Uh, oh, you know, so it's worth picking up one of those and you don't want it too big maybe a 30 liter or something and have it sealed so that if it does slip into the water you know you're not going to ruin your sleeping bag or something right you know so there's you know whatever you put in there be prepared it might get wet and then then there's going to be getting out of the canyon the couple two ways to do that and you have to make sure you can you can do that or that you know you can haul that out and if you're on your skins you should be fine and then the head wall it's not that long so you just have the the toboggan you know hanging below you and as you go up as long as it's not too icy you should be fine Mm -hmm. do you have Mm -hmm. ski crampons if you uh in fact i'm i'm getting a set today i have never used them Oh, okay. They may be a good idea if it's a little bit icy because that bag is going to want to pull you off, you know? So, uh, yeah. And so when do you tend to like you, like in in your outdoor adventure stuff, like when do you tend to use a toboggan and why? Well, the most important time is if you're going into like the Columbia ice fields or somewhere where you're tenting. Mm-hmm. And then you have a lot of extra gear. And if you're going in for three or four days, you know, you got fuel and food and the tent and a heavier sleeping bag, everything's set up for sleeping minus 20 minus, you know, or lower. So that's kind of the, the you haul it up there and then you use up the fuel and the food. And then you just roll up the carpet and put it on your outside of your pack and ski down. Is like the carpet the bomb? Is it like what you recommend? Well, I, I wouldn't recommend a hard sled for anything with slope. Uh, like okay. I wouldn't take a hard sled into Bow Hut. So I, I, it's I, and I, the only reason I'm doing it primarily is to experiment. But maybe I this is enough. <laughs> I don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like. If you don't need to do a, uh, no, a sled, don't. don't do it. You know, it can be helpful, but it's something you use if you really need to. My it's, purpose in doing it is to do expeditions like on the Columbia ice fields. And we've done that too. And I've carried everything, but um, I, uh, I, that's, that's kind of, it's just like, I want to try. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. So I'm not going to do it now. So thank you for sharing all that. And my friend it has copied your crazy carpet idea and he plans to do it. Now, what I understand is he, the way he's setting it up is like if there's something really steep or through that canyon where there's that water, he just plans to then put it on his backpack because he'll have his straps accessible with the, the, that's how it works, right? 
Yeah, if it's a real short slope, you can just have it bouncing along below you. But if, you know, something like the head wall, if you can flip it up on your back, on top of your pack or whatever, and, and just deal with it for that 15 minutes to get up the head wall, mm-hmm. that's an even better way of doing it. You know? Cool. Bill, what do you enjoy most in the mountains these days? I see that you, you know, you climb, you backcountry ski, you resort ski. You've done a lot of blanket glacier trips, which I assume are like heli in and, you know, tour for a few days. What is it that you love most about the mountains these days? Well, I really like alpine climbing, scrambling, and I, I backcountry skiing as such. And, and backcountry skiing for me breaks down into two aspects. One, one is the bagging peaks, you know, like skiing up the Wapta and, and going up Gordon or St. Nicholas and all those sort of things. And the other aspect is going into somewhere like Rogers Pass or Blanket Glacier or any of the huts. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like Blanket gets 25 to 40 feet. So you can do a few peaks there and we've done them, but generally you're in there to yo-yo ski. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you take your widest skis you can and you do just some fantastic glade or tree skiing or up on the glaciers. I really enjoy that. But of course, like last year I went into Diana Lake and this year we decided, well, with COVID and everything, we just can't make it work. So we've decided to leave that off, you know. So. Neat. And so that, like, that seems like a, like a lot of stuff that you do, like the alpine climbing, the scrambling, and then the backcountry skiing to bag peaks. But you also enjoy the yo-yo aspect of it. Yes. Um, a lot of people who get into like chasing the, the cane peaks or the 11,000ers or whatever are focused on lists and they're very competitive list orientated people and mm-hmm. I've got lots of friends like that I'm more about the experience and uh, like I have no desire to do all the cane peaks or do the all 11,000ers I'll rather go and do quality over quantity and I'm not afraid to do things over you know I've done temple seven or eight times and because it's good enough, it's worth doing at least once every decade or something, you know. And I like really nice routes, like Edith Cavell or some of these, you know, that are nice scrambling slash easy climbing type routes and where you just have great positions on the rock and great views, you're on a knife edge ridge and it's just those kind of things uh, appeal to me more. And I, I, I like... I like new experiences, but every time I've done a mountain, even if I've done it a bunch of times, it's a new experience because you're with different people. It's different weather, different time of the year, whatever. And so I enjoy it for that aspect of it. So I have a question for you along those lines. And the question is sort of exposing myself in a lot of ways. So when I was a younger man, let's say in my late 20s and 30s, 40s, maybe even in my 50s, like I am now, I always was exercising and training like as a sort of 30 year old so that I, one day when I'm older and have more time and my kids are older and out of home, which they are now, and when I, when I have more time and I, I want it to be fit so I could do more mountain adventures and uh, like things like just and expeditioning and stuff. So now I'm that age <laughs> and I'm 
not really doing that much. And I'm trying to keep the passion alive a little bit. But the big thing about me, okay, and this is how you and I are different. You're an engineer. And you, that's kind of reflected a little bit in the fact that you took the time and you created a website at buildcur.ca and you've got lists in here and, and topics. You're very organized. Do you have any like sort of thoughts or comments on a guy like me who's like, you know, I'm still busy in my career and but would like to do more adventuring. And, and in fact, so the other night when I got the link to your toboggan, then I was digging in and I saw, oh, it's 10 mountains every Calgarian should know. And I, of course, went there and I was like, wow, I got a lot of work to do because, you know, not only do I not necessarily know them, but I haven't done most of them in terms of, you know, being around them or summited at them. And I ended up sharing that link on my Facebook page. And a friend of mine wrote, Joanna Ford, who's a trail runner person, uh, wrote, oh, I've done them all except for this, you know, and I'm like, and then I wrote, <laughs> embar I'm embarrassed to say, I wrote, um, you, know, uh, you know, well, assuming Ironman Canada gets canceled, which I'm registered for this year, so that I'll stay fit and motivated to do mountain adventures, assuming it gets canceled, which maybe it will, maybe it won't, I have a plan this summer, which is, you know, to follow Bill's list and uh, get to know all these 10 mountains. But I mean, do you have any thoughts or observations on what I've just said, you know, sort of about the kind of person I am, like, you know, and you mentioned that you're not about list or bagging, you know, the cane peaks, for example, but you're very methodical. I don't know any thoughts on that. I'm definitely not a, like methodical and analytical like you would be or, you know, um, so, but I'm, I'm really, I'd like to do all those 10 peaks that you mentioned that every Calgarian should know. Not, you know, not necessarily do, but I want to do them all because I'm that kind of guy, like type A, I have to, you know, have a goal. <laughs> well, we all need goals in life. And yeah, I think we all need challenges. You know, we need mm -hmm. to have a challenge, something out in front of us. It gives us purpose. I think mountains are a great challenge and it's a hell of a lot better than uh, trying to shave two, three strokes off your golf swim, score yeah. or, yeah. or sw swim a little bit faster or do whatever, which is nothing wrong with those things or to run faster or whatever. But the mountains have much more diversity and depth to mm -hmm. it, you know, because it's, there's so many levels and aspects of all this that, that the complexity of doing these things you know, some of these things are, are snow climbs. Some of them can be done, you know, various, like Victoria behind is it's much more complicated than anything else on that list. And that's not even getting into the 11,000ers, but Devil's Head is not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. And yet people go in and underestimate some of these things. So we do need challenge and we do need some people need it in forms of lists and some challenge themselves, but there's risk involved in this. And it's not like the golfing or swimming or whatever has very little risk. Mm -hmm. And some people are quite happy with that. And some of us want a little more adventure or like our challenge with a little more spice in it. And that's what, when you, you're going out the mountains, you're adding spice, you're adding mm -hmm. danger, you know, people get killed doing this and yep. uh, hounded up or whatever all. You have to prepare and think that through and enjoy the little bit of adrenaline thrill, but 
you know, don't drink too deeply and don't get too close to the edge. So that's the advice is, you know, take it in steps, small bites, go with experienced people, read it up, prepare yourself and don't take it too lightly. Cause mm-hmm. I, I do see a lot of the trail runners out and they, they see Joanna go out and pound over seven summits in a three hours. And they say, wow, I can do that too. And people get in trouble because they get up on things and then they freeze because, mm-hmm. ooh, this is too much exposure or it's a slab with some dust on it and it's not secure and mm-hmm. whatever all. So you need to know where your limits or need to find out where your limits are without hurting yourself. Right. I've sort of noticed a change recently in terms of the the people that are accessing the mountains and the outdoors in our backyard here in Calgary. Like when you think about your peer group who are 10 and 20 years older than you that you've known over the last, you know, 50 years, or I guess 40 years or so, and the, the generation that's 20 years younger than you, are you noticing a difference in what's happening in the mountains? And that's particularly even worth talking about. Do you notice something, anything different? Yes. The younger people seem to be going to the mountains more than they ever have. And people Mm -hmm. come from all over Canada and the U.S. and whatever, or Europe to recreate the mountains here. And I find these people, you know, they get on social media and they do almost no background checks or Googling, doing any searches of what's there and why you should do it and how to do it and how to do it safely. And they pull up an all trails, which we nickname all fails type, which may or may not, you know, like if there's a dotted line on your phone on a map, and that may be where somebody wanted to go. That may be where somebody went. Doesn't mean it's the, you know, there's a huge difference between a track, a trail and a route. And you got to understand these things. And, you know, somebody may have flown a drone over it so that you might not even be able to do it. Or they did it on snowshoes and then there's 10 feet of alders there and you can't do it in the summer. So you don't know what that track is and uh, so there's yeah because it's just a track somebody went there at some time Mm -hmm. and you don't know what conditions or what he was on or he did it on a bike or a canoe Mm -hmm. you don't know and uh, so there might be a river crossing whatever so i would really strongly suggest to any of the younger people that might be listening to this or anytime i'm around talking to people is that you do have to do some research and don't don't blindly follow some track on all trails or Gaia or whatever. And just because somebody else has done it doesn't mean you can do it. You don't know what she's capable of or what I'm capable of, what I've done and uh, what I'm comfortable with. And they may not be. I think the introductory chapters of Alan Kane's Scrambles book and, and yeah. Nugara also has a little introductory. It's worth reading that over and and really thinking about that before you, hey, I see on Facebook hike page that somebody went and did this and, and uh, wow, let's go do it this weekend. I love spontaneity, but you've got to take it in moderation. You know, you, or you've got to approach things with some research. Right. 
Um, you have a section on your website, Scrambles in the Digital Error, which I thought might be an introduction to some of the app set, but I don't think it is that. Um, and I've only looked at it briefly. Is it only the last two or three years that like we see things like Gaia, All Trails, which you call All Fails, which, are, which I have and I think is great, I thought was great. <laughs> has that changed much in the last five years? And how has that affected, like, does if for you who like has been like, you know, in the mountains and, you know, I assume since the seventies, certainly the eighties and nineties and using like map and compass and that kind of thing. How has your route finding changed? And is there an app that you like or use? I've been using a view ranger, which is mm -hmm. kind of like Gaia. I find Gaia is more useful for iPhone people and I'm a mm -hmm. Samsung Android user. So anyway, I use view ranger which, you know, I'm not sure how successful it's going to be or whether it's going to stay around, but it's very useful for me anyway. And I've got uh, a, a real good Garmin, both a watch and a very good Garmin GPS. So I've mm -hmm. been using that kind of stuff from, you know, for a long time. These things are useful and I do check all trails and I do check Gaia and whatever else is out there. Because it's worth doing that, and and it's nice to be to know you're on track more or less, or at least you know get you in the right place, certainly to start and any critical turns. But we were a lot less successful back in the 70s and 80s. It was not unusual to go do something three times to get it. <laughs> now everybody goes on gets the track and they've got the hours and the timing and, and the turns and everything. And they can do it like a military strike. You know, you've got it all right. planned out. To, this is where I should be two hours and 20 minutes into it. I should be at this turn and do this and so many elevation gain and insert everything in it. And it gets planned out so precisely that, mm. and, and with all the great weather apps, you know, windy.com, snow forecast, mountain forecast, spot wx things like that you go through yeah. you can blend the forecasts from three or four of those things with freezing levels and everything and you can plan out snow climbs and stuff you know you got to hit it between three in the morning and and nine o'clock or something and you got to be coming down by noon and and, right. and you can do stuff so with military precision that in the past would have gone out there and uh we're two hours late we got to turn around and go home uh, because mm -hmm. the conditions aren't right or right oh here comes here comes the thunderstorms that we didn't know about that kind of stuff wow. you know and then that, and then back then we were all working hard so maybe you got one day on the weekend and that one day isn't the you know nowadays right. you just oh swap it out and go out on wednesday and, right and make it happen because yeah. <laughs> right. the high pressure system's in and, and it's sunny Right. You know. So just making it a lot, lot easier having all this stuff. Like in the last 10 years, it's easier to, to plan the route, to know where you're going, to know the elevation. and Yeah, know. all the trip reports, all the pictures, you know, and, and, and everything. And, and some of the more complex things that are uh, like some of the hardest scrambles in Keynes um, mm -hmm. are things like uh, Mount Smuts. Mm -hmm. So I rode up Mount Smuts, I talked to Alan, and I got pictures from a bunch of different people because we were having a lot of online arguments about, uh, about Mount Smuts. So I wrote it right. up and I put it on my website, but mainly I put it up on Summit Post. 
And Summit right. Post is a world climbing resource. It's a wiki for world climbing. And mm-hmm. so for some of the harder scrambles or the more difficult stuff, Summit Post is a great, you know, some of the easier climbs that weren't in the guidebooks and stuff in, in the Canadian Rockies, I've put up on Summit Post. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, something else, uh, <laughs> if you ever have time to, to you know, and it's good to have all this information stored somewhere so that it isn't forgotten or lost. Right. And, and, you know, everybody shouldn't have to recreate it every Right. Know, over so does, over. when you think now with all the tools that are available, does it make it easier and more enjoyable for you, Bill, to plan it like, I don't know, it's something in three weeks or in a month? Yeah, it makes it easier. It's not any less enjoyable for you, is it? Uh, no. If I really worried about it, I don't have to look at it. But I like to study and analyze. I'm an intensely curious person. So right. I like to go through and, and study everything before I do it. And as I've got older here, I find more, more information, more certainty before I go do things is a good thing for me. Right. Uh, I, I, yeah. I don't need, need the unknown challenge as much as uh, when I was younger. Now, I know you've been very involved with the Alpine Club of Canada. You mentioned it like sort of that was the place in the 70s to get any information. Who are you going to the mountains with these days? Are you a part of a club or is it just you and your friends? What are, are you leading any groups? I have led Alpine Club trips, but in the last 10 years, I have a group of people that I go with. And some people are more skiers and some people are more climbers and some people are more scramblers. And I have friends that have done all of the 11,000ers. I've got friends who have done all the cane peaks and so on, you know, and, and it depends on what, you know, what I want to do, you know, I'll phone up, you know, one of those guys or the group of guys and, and to go out with them. Very good. So in respect of your time and our listeners' times, I would like to sort of close up a little bit, Bill, a couple more questions. So I'm up to the bow hut this weekend. I'm going to be there for two nights and I'm an objective type guy. It's way more interesting for me to have some objectives. So it would be certainly within my means to climb St. Nicholas and like, I mean, peak, you know, summit it as well as Gordon. Do you have any objectives you like that you throw out that maybe I should be tackling while I'm up at bow hut for two nights? Uh, or is that Rhonda, it really? There's a glacier. Yeah. Oh, Rhonda. I, yeah, I think yeah, I meant get, Rhonda. I might have called the Gordon. Yeah. 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 yeah Gordon's a, a good ski too. And, and there's, okay. um, uh, you know, Gordon's the highest one you're going to get Okay. Get out of that group. So, but it's a fair ways across the, uh, but I've done it as a day trip, you know, right from the, the roads. So, you know, it's an yeah. easy enough thing to get from, from the hut and all of this also there, but that's a little more mountaineering so that because you're going along a ridge and although there's a real nice fan on the ramp on all of this can be a nice ski i don't know how well it's covered this year Rhonda is just a slog across the the glacier there and Mm -hmm. a little bit of skiing on the front of it and then skiing when you come back down you know below saint nick there saint Uh, Saint nick's a little exposed is a little exposed you're going to have to google some pictures on the top of saint nick there for you know just to give yourself a and a lot of the you can go to my site and google it or if you're just googling pictures 
a lot of times my site comes up three or four of the top 50 pictures will be mine or nice. somebody that went with me, you know, and, that, and that's where a lot of people have heard of me because they Google stuff and they see pictures and all oh, those are neat pictures and oh, it's a Bill Kerr picture or it leads to my site. And I think uh, I like, that's why your name is so familiar to me is have probably I've been on your site and pictures like many, many times. I'm positive <laughs> that's it actually. Well, very good. And so Bill, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Any thoughts on that? What would my billboard say? Catching you <laughs> off guard, probably, I yeah, assume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. And, oh, I, I think uh, I just put uh, a mountain picture up there and I put billcur.ca along the bottom and uh, people can find out about me there. <laughs> go find, uh, go spend some time in the mountains. Well, Bill, I really yeah. appreciate this. I feel like there's going to be a part two and a part three, maybe. I wish you all the sure. best in your uh, in your move. I just want to really thank you. And the best way for people to reach out to you, a billkerr.ca is obviously one way. Are you on Instagram as well? Uh, yes, uh, it's billkerr3 on Instagram. And then, of course, I'm Good. on a lot of the Facebook we'll put- uh, outdoor, page, outdoor pages, you know. Okay. Like, like there's you know, we'll backcountry YYC and scrambles in the Canadian Rockies Facebook page. There's three or four right. of them. So, you know. Well, very good. Well, we'll put links to in the show notes. And Bill, thanks very much for taking the time today. Have wow. a great time. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm.